please make sure you go over to YouTube, subscribe, or you can always find us on any of the podcast platforms, and that's Fostering Change. Hey everybody, it's Rob Shear, and here is another exciting episode of Fostering Change. You know, it is so hard to believe that we are in the month of December. Um, you know, I say this quite often, you know, next season, I'm, I'm really debating what we're going to do. Um, at first, I thought I was going to stop doing the podcast. It's been season five. The last three years, I've won the best, you know, of podcasts when it comes to foster care and adoption. Um, and this morning, as I, as you can see, I'm not in my studio. I'm traveling as usual, um, someone reached out to me and they sent me a message through social media and they said, listen, I just heard your podcast and I heard that you are considering stop doing your podcast and I want you to know that we need you. And she says, people need to hear people tell their story and people need to know that we are not alone for uh, those of us who've aged out of the system. And so it really gave me a lot of thought. So I will let you all know this. It is not our last season. We, we are going to shake some things up. But today, I'm so, so excited. I'm excited because the person who's on our, our show today, her and I have so much in common that she doesn't even know it. And I can't wait till we talk about it. But my next guest is Lisa Cohen. Lisa is the author of Being Too Fierce. She is also the president of the um, DC Rotary Club, which you all know how much I love the Rotary Club. Lisa, welcome to Fostering Change. Well, thank you so much, Rob. It is my pleasure to be here, and and thank you for all that you do. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. But I'm going to have to tell you something. As I was reading through your book, um, and you know, I, first of all, I, I did a little bit of stalking of you a long time ago. I don't know if you know this, but somebody in my office had told me about meeting you, and I was just like, okay, I have got to know more about her. And so then, when I got your book and I read your book, I was like, wow. We have so much in common. You know, first of all, I'm from D.C. You're from D.C. Four of my five children that my husband and I adopted were in the foster care system in D.C. You know, um, I lived in D.C. for 20 years and we my kids had been. We had had we had adopted them and it had been two years and we finally realized that living in the city was just way too hard. So we moved to the suburbs. You know, the fact that you say in your book about walking up to your foster home carrying a trash bag, it just hit me because one, we have our charity. The reason our charity exists is because kids shouldn't be carrying trash bags. But I also remember being 12 and walking up to my very first house carrying a trash bag. But also I was split up with my siblings. I was the youngest of 10. So let's get right into this and tell me one, what made you decide to write your memoir? Well, uh, just like with you, you know, all of this stuff that I went through, I was in foster care from 18 months, well, really from birth until 19 years old. And it was on my soul to write. I needed to get it out. I mean, when you have so much that you carry around with you and you don't know where to put it, um, it's re it's best to put it down in the book or in pages. Um, I put a lot of it out. It, you know, it was a boxer in the ring as well. But well yeah, because we're going to get to that because that, by the way, my boys last night at dinner, we were talking about you and they were actually Googling you. 
<laughs> my youngest son Tristan, he was so so excited. Um, so yeah, we're definitely yeah. about that. So so you so you really wanted to put it down. I, I have a question to ask because this is something I struggled with. You know, you and I definitely are not the statistics when it comes to kids in foster care. We both have become very successful, and um, we chose a different path than what most kids are choosing. Um, for me, it was up until I want to say about 11 years ago um, that I still kept it very quiet that I grew up in the system, that I had aged out of the system, that I was homeless because of the system. And those were all things that I didn't want people to know. But what I did was at one moment, I remember looking at my children and thinking, how could I raise them to be genuine people if they're embarrassed about where they came from? Did you ever go through that type of thing of embarrassment of being in the foster care system? Well, absolutely. Well, it wasn't wasn't so much an embarrassment as as I knew that where I had been could be used as a tool against me. So when going into certain spaces and you talk about or someone knows, you know, my thing became at, at age 25, I had already made the decision that I'm gonna write, I'm gonna tell people what happened with me. I need for it to, for them to know, but, but the truth was I wasn't ready to really write it until 40 because I was still very embarrassed by a lot that had happened with, you know, during the time that I was in care and that I was I was so concerned about what other people thought. And when you turn 40, honey, you don't care anymore. And I'm telling you, when I turned 39, 40, I was like, huh, I'm putting it out there. Everybody's going to know. And it is what it is. If you want to know more of my business, let me write part two. Yeah, I love that. I love that because I did the same exact thing. It was all of a sudden, you know, I was in my late 30s. I had met my husband and he was the one because he grew up totally different than me, you know, had his master's, grew up in the Midwest, didn't even know what foster care was. And he was the one that was like, you know, maybe the issues that you have is that you haven't dealt with your trauma. You know, and the fact of always being, you know, I always had this issue of not being wanted. And because of not being wanted as a young boy, you know, growing up and then, you know, ended up, I and, and I don't know, you know, not having decent relationships, I ended up gravitating to bad relationships. And, you know, I mean, people just don't realize. The sad part, what I hear is that you being in the system at 18 months, you know, and, and staying in the system until you literally aged out at 19 because 19 was the age when when 18 was the age when I aged out in 1985 well see the thing was I was in the independent living program at that time so from 17 17 till I graduated which is like a few months after I turned 18 um you were you could stay in if you were going to go to college within this organization but you know how we are, Rob. We oh. trust the system. It's like I went to college for a year and I said, suppose I have a bad year. They're going to just throw me out on my ear. I'm done. So that's why I decided uh, I'll emancipate myself out. And the way I did it was through joining the Navy. Yeah. And by the way, um, hello, you and I both went to the United States Navy, you know, so 
when, when I graduated from high school, I was homeless. I had been homeless my entire senior year of high school, um, living on the streets of Northern Virginia. And um, I didn't I didn't have anywhere else to go. I didn't know what else to do. You know, no, we didn't have an assistant living program. No one was talking to me about college. And, and because I wasn't one of those kids, you know, my brothers and sisters who had fallen to the wayside, drug addiction, incarceration, teenage pregnancy, all of the things that we see when you put the F word in front of a child's name, you know, I wasn't that kid. I was good grades. And I, you know, um, and so the Navy, I'm going to tell you, the Navy saved my life, saved my life, you know. It made you understand that there is more of a reality out there than what you've been living through. Yes. And once I started traveling and seeing the world and understanding there is more to this world you just you did you ever go on a on a one of the paths no no i you know the the sad part is for my story you know and i write about it in my memoir is that you know i joined the navy it got me off the street it got me focused but after being in the navy for about nine months i graduated from um boot camp as the honor man i had was in my a school i was top in my class and um my bladder ruptured because my biological father used to punch me in my bladder whenever we would go to the bathroom and so the navy fixed me um but they gave me a one-way plane ticket to dulles airport and they medically discharged me and i missed being paid for the rest of my life by four weeks and so here i have one month of pay i hitchhiked down route seven you and i both know where that is because we're from the same place and i found a town called gore virginia which is right outside of winchester and um i found a hotel that rented by the week and i um i did that and worked at a target which was actually called dart back in those days which are like targets and i ended up faking a resume and at a mortgage company and got hired um all based on lies on a resume and built my my mortgage career where I owned mortgage companies all over the country. But I'll remember, Lisa, when I was, you know, two years into that job, I walked into that boss's office and I handed him my letter of resignation and I said, I can't do this. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I lied to you about getting this job. And he said, you're the hardest worker. He was like, he ripped up the letter of resignation. He's like, get back to work. Um, so yeah, so I didn't get the luxury of, you know, having to travel and, and doing all the things. I love the Navy for what the Navy did for me because it truly did give me a path. Um, I just wish it would end differently. How many years were you in service? So and, um, this is the <laughs> same sort of thing I have at Will. My bladder didn't rupture, but I got pregnant. So I had gotten married just before I joined the Navy. And so my husband and I went to Alameda, California, where I was stationed. I was on board the Gompers. We went on a Westpac, but when I came back, I was like, you know, the Navy says, well, you know, you have a commitment to us. You're not supposed to be having children. I wanted kids. I wanted to have a family. And I started my family. I got, I got out of the Navy. Our ship was going to Desert Storm and I got out of the Navy three months before my term was up. So I actually got an honorable discharge, convenience of the government, because I would have had to stay in pregnant or not if my ship were not going to right. Desert Storm. However, I did go on a Westpac. I went to Japan, Hong Kong, Korea, 
Philippines. I went all over the globe. It was great. Did that for six months. So I got I got my money's worth. You got your money's worth. I'll tell you what. So now I want to jump right into the fact that the fact that you are a boxer, okay, or you were a boxer. I'm, do you still box? Um, I train people now on and off. You know, I do do a little something but i don't no i don't do it for i don't do it for prize right right so 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 what got you into boxing it was in my gut like since i was a little girl like first of all i used sports as an outlet um i hated going home i've moved 13 different times but i hated going home to these foster homes i hated being in the house and i used uh sports i joined i hated running track but i did it i didn't care if i had to run cross country i was going to join somebody's team so i wouldn't have to go straight home and so i actually loved sports all my life and i loved watching muhammad ali joe frazier uh sugar ray leonard all of them my brothers my biological brothers were big boxing fans and i i was a muhammad ali addict and um, when I realized that women could box in 1996, I saw two women boxing on television on a, a Don King undercard. And it was the first ever televised women's bout between um, Bethany Payne and uh, the coal miner's daughter. What was her name? Oh, God. She was like, she was everything. She was it. Christy Martin, the coal miner's daughter. That's what they called her. And uh, I said, that's what I'm supposed to do. And it was right when my children had turned school age. So they were in school. And now I needed to reinvent myself on yeah. what I was doing. So, wow. And you, hold a you held a title. Yes. I won the IFBA junior featherweight title in 2002 and I had literally given myself I, I was 28 years old when I turned pro so I had given myself literally five years I said if I don't do it in five years which I am all I got to do is keep training all I got to do is stay focused and I'm gonna get it to, and, and I got a title shot um and on May the 15th 2002 and I won the title by ninth round knockout I wow, it's crazy. I love that. I love that. And I love the fact that you actually took your grit and you made it into something. And, you know, um, I remember those days of not wanting to be home. You know, we just adopted our fifth child. Um, he's he, you know, never thought we'd have a fifth child. But I met him when he was 18 years old. And this is a kid who had been in 11 homes, you know, um, through the Baltimore City foster care system. And I absolutely fell in love with him. I was on my book tour and my husband and I just adopted him. Actually, just recently, we just finalized the adoption. So my kids are 16, um, 15, 16, 17, um, 19 and 22. So I have four boys and a girl in <laughs> And so I see both of your kids, you know, both of your kids are, are college graduates and, you know, you know, it, did, did all of your siblings, did they, did they take the same path like you did or was there some that went in different directions? 
So thank you for asking that. I have four older brothers. I'm the youngest. And it's so crazy because you would think I was the oldest. Um, and I have all brothers. Um, my, my brother, who's one year older than I am, Jay, Jeffrey, he and I are the, have always been the closest. And we stayed together for the longest period of time through foster care. We looked out for each other and protected each other throughout because we had lost our brothers, our other brothers along the way. But yeah, I have to say that um, my, there has been drug addiction and all my, all of my older brothers were in foster care or living on the streets and such at some point in time. And yeah, it did not, it, everything did not end up rosy for them as it did um, for me, we just chose a different path. Yeah, that's what I say too. Same thing with my family. You know, um, my brothers and sisters, as I say, they they made a different choice um, because I I remind people all the time: stop blaming the system. Help me change the system. We know the system is shattered. We know that the system, you know, is totally against you know rehabilitation of anything whatsoever. I mean, children several of my children came to me from severe abuse and they it was they needed to, to be removed but a couple of my kids came to us because of the word neglect and that's no more than poverty and i think that if we would have given the bio mother a helping hand she wouldn't have had her children in foster care and i just think that we 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 look so many times lisa you know the fact is is that instead of helping out someone i'll put them in you know they come in and they ride this big white horse saving the child but then then all of a sudden when they're 18 they're just like okay we're done you know we're done and, and no preparation of being let me tell you my my oldest son who's 22 he will be the first one to say i am 22 years old i still need my fathers i still need fathers lisa i'd like to know so what are you doing now you're the president of the rotary club you know your book was absolutely amazing again everybody i'm gonna have the link here being too fierce it is a great book i'm telling you i, I it is it's an unbelievable memoir but what are you doing now um, right now, so I am the president of the Rotary Club of Washington, D.C. now, and I've been a Rotarian for the past 15 years. And during the time that I was in, I entered into the club as an advocate for foster youth and nonprofit youth, period. Like, so I um, right now, I literally just took a job. Um, Sasha Bruce, which is an organization that protects and takes kids off the streets here, in Washington, D.C. and have been doing it for the past 50 years. Started over in Georgetown, um, but for the first time, they're opening up a foster house. And I worked alongside with the director of uh, Sasha Bruce, Debbie Shore, um, on our attorney generals, Brian Schwab's <laughs> uh, transition team. So we were in charge of recommending things for youth here in the city, uh, dealing with everything from uh, decriminalizing runaway children to, you know, just the foster care system, uh, you know, just child welfare in general. And so we met and we just became pal. You know, she read my book and she said, Lisa, I remember all of this. I So she started working. She actually started the organization when I was in care. 
And so our our paths had crossed and I said, I, I've seen you somewhere. Um, so I work for Sasha Bruce and I'm actually working as the behavioral clinician for six foster youth. Now, the wonderful thing about the foster house is, is called Allen House or Grace House um, in Sasha Bruce is that it, it, there are foster youth from 16 to 23, I'm sorry, to 21, who no longer, they're difficult to place. Right. And we all know that, you know, every foster youth comes with trauma. Yes. And some of our trauma is more severe than others. And, 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 and we don't criminalize the fact that that trauma is so severe that I can't go to school. I okay. can't go. Or I can't do this because, right, for them, they can't do it. So we create an environment and the services for those youth. And we can take no more than six. No one gets turned away. And uh, they get to stay there until they're out. I love it. I love it. I'm going to tell you something. I want to have you and your executive director back on my show. Um, I I would love for people to hear more about this. I think that, you know, I'm a true component of making sure that, you know, we things are lifted up so they can truly, you know, make it better for tomorrow. Um, and so I, I'm serious. I, I'm going to get my producer on this because I think we need to highlight this. And I also want to make sure that, you know, you guys have comfort cases that are there there at the at the home because you know when kids enter there one of the things with our charity is we do birth up to the age of 21. So these kids will be able to get a case. It'll have all the hygiene stuff they need, new pajamas, books, all of that. Um, and so, um, listen, I am so, so, I, first of all, I, I want you to come to our National Center in Rockville, Maryland. I'd love to give you a tour. Um, you're not far away, you know, and we need to grab lunch and we need to catch up. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much because you truly are our light that children who are aging out of foster care need to see because I do believe that we do not have enough role models um, and we see the negative and we need to see the positive. So, you know, as I end this show, Lisa, the one question I have to ask you, if there was one thing you could change within our foster care system, what would that be? Whoa, that is a very loaded question, but it is the best question ever. Um, if I could change one thing that would need to um, be addressed and to decriminalize the foster care, the foster youth in foster care. When a child goes into school or into any space and, they, and it is found out that they are a foster child, don't automatically put them into a box and decide that they are bad people because they're not, they're traumatized. And it's um, it's the thing that I, that that's my biggest issue. I need for us, cause it's still me too. Right, I need, and me. Right, I need for us to be decriminalized. You know, the first thing that people hear when they hear, oh, you were a foster child. It's like, what did you do wrong to get- That's exactly what I say. You know, it's it's exactly what I say. Listen, we, you and I, we talk the same talk, my friend. We talk the same talk because the fact is, is that, you know, 
children come in the system because the choices other people made. Um, and we have the choice to whether or not we put a letter behind their name, put them in a box, but mm -hmm. treat them as the humans they need to be treated. Listen up, everybody. This is another amazing episode of Fostering Change. I am so, so happy that I've met my new friend, Lisa. Her book is Being Too Fierce. Um, we're going to have it link right here for you to get it. I'm telling you, um, it's definitely going to be your winter read as it's going to snow so much in the DC area. Throughout the country, I hear snow is coming. Um, grab this book, Curl Up to a Fire. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to be able to put it down. You're not <laughs> my email address because it's better to get it from me than even on Amazon because you're probably going to get a used one off Amazon, get a new one that I can sign personally. Perfect. Well, we will have all that information up. And until next time, um, this has been another episode of Fostering Change and continue to do what I always ask. Just go out there and be good humans. Lisa, take care. Have a great holiday. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.